0: Welcome to Coffee House Theology. It is Wednesday, February the 10th, and uh, we are continuing with our series that we kicked off last week. Uh, We are the church, introducing you to some of the amazing people that God has put within our church family. Uh, And tonight we're excited to get to introduce you, if you don't already know her, to Elisa Childers, uh, blogger, musician, author, mom, all the things, right? And uh, has written a a book called Another Gospel. The cover looks like this, Uh, came out last fall with uh, Tyndale and uh, a deal with some of the issues of progressive Christianity. And so, uh, great turnout tonight. Glad you're here. Lots more people uh, I know who will be listening to the podcast when it goes up tomorrow. Uh, and so, Brian, start us with a word of prayer, and we're going to dive right in.
1: Absolutely. Father God, we are thankful. Thankful for your grace. Thankful for your son that saves us. Uh, be here among us tonight, Father. Uh, uh, bless Elisa and, her, and, and this time, and help us more clearly see the true gospel, and, and, and the, the ways that you enlighten us, Father, the ways that you are among us, and so that we can see these false narratives for what they are, and so that we can help others to see these false narratives for what they are. Um, bless our time together. Don't, don't let us leave the same. Uh, as we encounter your truth, Father, let us be changed, and let us walk out of here different people. And it's in the precious name of Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, glad to see such a good crowd tonight, Brian. I think this is the biggest crowd we've ever had. I don't know what that it says about our teaching, but uh, it says quite a you bit. You know, but that's, let's just, that's just go how we are, man Let it let it be noted. <laughs> So, well, Elisa, some of our folks know you, but uh, obviously you have been a busy person in the past year or so. So help us get to know you a little bit. Tell us about your family and give us a little bit of your testimony. One of the things that Brian and I wanted to be sure that we had the opportunity to do is to let people hear how you came to faith in Christ and, and how you grew and were developed in that faith, which just part of your story. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for letting me be here tonight. It's kind of like extra nerve wracking to be in your home church, you know, talking. But uh, we've been, my family and I have been here at uh, Station Hill for, I think, maybe three years. I think that. That's probably right, although I'm bad with numbers. But uh, it's been a real haven for us as God has grown uh, just the ministry He's called me to. And of course, this book I don't even think was a twinkle in the eye when we first started coming here, but God just, through a series of different events, just led us to this place. And so I'm thankful to you both and to the church for being that haven for my family, which consists of my husband and I and my daughter, Dylan, who's 12, and my son, Aiden who is nine. And uh, so just a little bit of my testimony, like I'm sure many of you, I grew up in a Christian home. I had wonderful Christian parents who gave me the gospel. Uh, They modeled an authentic Christianity uh, to me. And so generally speaking, growing up in church, I'm learning that this is more rare now, but I had a pretty good experience with Christianity growing up. I had good youth pastors, good pastors. Uh, The people that were in my life who were Christians were very similar sincere, genuine, wonderful people. And I think that because of that, I I didn't really experience a lot of doubts, intellectual doubts about what I believed because it worked. It was just, and it wasn't just that. It wasn't like I had a blind faith. I really loved Jesus as far back as I can remember. Uh, As far back as I can remember, I loved reading the Bible. And I knew, I just knew that the Bible was the word of God. I knew I could live my life by it. And, um, but what I didn't realize back then was that I couldn't have articulated Articulated why I believed that. I would have probably said something like, if somebody said, Well, why why do you think the Bible is the Word of God? I would have just said, Well, of course it's the Word of God. And I would just wait for the Holy Spirit to show them that it's the Word of God. And um, so so I didn't have any significant intellectual doubts until much later uh, as an adult, actually. And so, uh, just as part of my journey, Pastor mentioned that that I'm a musician. So I spent six, seven years uh, in the contemporary Christian music industry. Anybody remember Zoe Girl, Zoe Girl back in the day? Um, yeah. So I was youth pastor back then. Yeah, you. That's right, youth pastor. So, so that you know, when you were joking about dancing, you know, we we did some dancing back then, but not tonight <laughs> but uh, after you know, seven years or so of, of being a part of Zoe Girl, we had all come off the road because we were married now we were starting to have kids and and frankly, you know we, we were aimed at young teens. so we sang songs about abstinence and just issues that that were relating to those young teens. and so it just kind of started to feel weird uh, singing about abstinence, you know eight months pregnant on the stage. So <laughs> we, we just thought, okay, that phase is done and so we came off the road and I had my first baby. And so essentially what ended up happening is I was invited to do some music uh, at a local church uh, down in Brentwood, and... My husband and I loved this church, and this was probably about 10 years ago, a little a little over 10 years ago. And uh, we connected with this church, with the pastor. He, he had these intellectual sermons. We had never been exposed to that, my husband and I. And so after we started attending there for about eight years, I am mean, not eight years, eight months, <laughs> the pastor invited me to be a part, a part of a smaller class. And in this very smaller class, Uh, everything that I had ever believed about God and Jesus in the Bible were essentially picked apart. And the pastor said that he was agnostic. And so that just meant that he didn't really know what he believed about God. And how many of you have heard the, the term deconstruction? So this is something that more and more of us are seeing in our social media news feeds. This is when a famous Christian comes on social media and says, hey, I've deconstructed and I don't believe anymore. And so essentially... I believe that this class was this pastor's deconstruction process, and he was bringing some people along with him. So because of that, I went through a really dark time of doubt uh, for the first time, and I had to really dig in to find out if what I believed was true and how I could articulate those beliefs. Now, the, the way this relates to progressive Christianity, which is what my book is about, is that that church and that pastor went on to identify themselves as a progressive Christian community. And I thought, what is progressive Christianity? then I started to see it everywhere that phrase, and so I realized oh that's what that was and so uh, the book is essentially my journey and uh, but I'm addressing the beliefs of progressive Christianity along the way and trying to give a, a biblical and logical answer to it
1: well that's beautiful that's beautiful and and so how has God used you in in this making enlightening people about Progressive Christianity and the untruths that are there, right? Because they sound close to truth a lot of times, yeah. Which is what's kind of the deep deception in them, and they feel right, yeah, right. Which is which is dangerous in what you let guide you, mm-hmm. and you you go into some of that. But but how has God worked through you and in, in this ministry to to enlighten people about this progressive Christianity and those?
2: Well, when I was first sort of floundering in my own doubt. Um, I discovered apologetics, which was super helpful, but I couldn't find any apologists that were addressing progressive Christianity. Now, it worked out okay because uh, sadly, a lot of the same claims atheists make about things like the reliability of the Bible, even the existence of God in some cases, the nature of God. Uh, Some of those conclusions are the same conclusions atheists come to, that, that progressive Christians come to. So I was able to really learn a lot, but I couldn't find material that was analyzing uh, all of these authors and bloggers and speakers that were influencing this movement as a whole. And and so I, I kind of just, I studied the apologetics. I got settled in my own faith at, over the course of several years. And then uh, the Lord called me to start a blog. So I started a blog, then I started a podcast. And then I began to realize, like, people are seeing the ideas of progressive Christianity everywhere, but they haven't known what to call it they don't have language to articulate exactly what it is. And so um, I'm so thankful that God has used my story to help some other people as they encounter the movement. And then I, I'm starting to see a lot of people speaking out about it. And it's, so it's been really encouraging that way. Um, but, but yeah, the, the feedback that I've just gotten is that people are like, I, I saw it, I didn't know what to call it. And so, and so I'm thankful for that.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned that early on in the book, you know, this sense of being caught off guard Uh, And so I think Mm -hmm. even for me as a pastor, it was helpful to read your book because it, it helped uh, shape it gave some contours to things that, as you've said, are kind of floating out there, mm-hmm. and you see them, and you know they're not congruent, right, with biblical Christianity. So help us to understand because that's part of the trick, right? There's this kind of uh, very fluid, uh, you know, set of ideologies that mm-hmm. progressive Christianity, you know, veers towards. Could you help us identify what some of those streams are yeah. for folks who haven't read the book yet, um, and, and just to help us understand and clarify what we need to be looking for. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's the question, right? So I spent a couple of years reading all the progressive books I could, I could read in that time and listening to their podcasts and reading their blog posts just to try to figure out what it was that united them. Mm -hmm. Because the difficult thing with progressive Christianity is there's such a wide spectrum of different beliefs that fall under that umbrella. So you might have one progressive Christian who believes Jesus was resurrected. You might have another one who doesn't, but they're perfectly fine to be in unity together because it's really not about what you believe in progressive Christianity. It's much more about what you do. It's about the activism you're engaging in, the causes you're getting behind, and things like that. But as I read their stuff, I realized there really are some... Uh, very, they are very unified on some theological points. And I am not a scholar. I am a a flaky artist. And so I just wanted to get like a big picture of what this was. And so for me, I I sort of analyzed it through three, three points. And so that's the progressive Christian, this is what they tend to all be united on, at least the thought leaders. And that's their view of the Bible and their view of the cross, which of course is going to determine their view of the gospel. So um, what sets progressive Christianity apart from—and I'm not even comparing it with evangelicalism or, or Baptists. Or it's, I'm talking historic Christianity, going back to the earliest sources. Uh, historically speaking, even though Christians have disagreed on so many things and in biblical interpretations, going back to Jesus and the apostles, the early church father— fathers, the Bible was considered the word of God. Christians have always considered the Bible to be the word of God, inspired by God, God breathed, and because of that, it's authoritative for our lives. So we're gonna settle our arguments based on what's in the Bible, that's the historic view. But in progressive Christianity, they will say that they hold the Bible in a high view, but but they don't believe that the prophets and the biblical writers are actually speaking for God. So if you have a prophet in the Old Testament, it's telling Israel, hey, God said, we have to go here and do this, the progressive Christian is going to say, well, that's not necessarily God speaking. That was just their best understandings of God in the times and places in which they lived. So because of that, it's very common to hear progressive Christians say, well, I disagree with Paul. You know, Paul had biases uh, that colored his view of women, or he had these hangups that uh, affected what he wrote about sexuality. And so I can disagree with Paul because they view the scriptures more as like fossils you can dust. Off and analyze, but but these aren't the living words of God that inform what you believe about God. And so that that's the starting point. Um, and that leads to the view of the cross, which they they outright reject the idea that God the Father would require a blood the blood sacrifice of His only Son. They think this is cosmic child abuse. That's a phrase you'll hear very often in progressive Christianity. And so they they completely deny any type of uh, meaningful definition of substitutionary atonement. So that leads to the gospel. If you if you get rid of the cross, what's going to be your gospel? Why why are you still calling yourselves Christians? Why are you still you know, why, why even, I mean, I'd be like at the bar if I didn't think, you know, the cross had any validity. I just, I'd leave Christianity and go do what I want, you know? Um, but uh, but they don't. They say, well, no, there's, there's this social justice sort of uh, core to their gospel. So you, you affirm the right causes, and those causes are always gonna run in line with where culture is at. So we see uh, LGBT activism, uh, ad- advocating for same-sex marriage within the church. This is a very big issue in the progressive movement. So it's, it's more about what you do, which really makes it a, a based gospel. And it's, it's not a gospel of grace.
1: Yeah, and that, and that, you know, one of the things when, when you, we ask for, like, Scripture, right, that, that was church, um I was really encouraged by you giving us Galatians, because the typical, right, apologetics is, is 1 Peter 3.15, yeah. right, giving it. But you gave us Galatians 1, eight and Jude 3. And, and that goes, and that fits right in with what you were saying, right? In Galatians, and I'll, I'm going to read the kind of section Galatians is from, starting with verse 6, right? it says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is a, another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And here's the verse. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say now, if anyone is preaching you a different gospel, contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And what's fabulous about that, right, this is one of the first two books written in the New Testament, right? So within 20 years of the resurrection of Christ, we already have that Paul has to defend his apostolic authority and that he has to defend the purity of the gospel. Yeah. And this in particular was with the Judaizers, right? That They were trying to say you had to be circumcised in order to be part of the Christian faith. And so there was that works-based righteousness, mm-hmm. right? You had to do works to be saved. And Paul says, no, that, that's, that's just not how this works. And in, in Jude, and, and Jude 3 is one of my favorite verses anywhere, right? It says, beloved, although I, I was very eager to write you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't think what she was just saying was based in scripture, do you have any questions? Yeah. Right. But Jude was one of the last two books written in the, in the New Testament. Right. And so at the beginning and the end of the New Testament, we're still contending for the gospel. And this one, the irony, right, in Galatians, Paul is saying for freedom, Christ has set you free. He was saying, don't be restricted. These things be free. And here we have Christians that are taking liberties. Right. That's saying, because we're forgiven, we don't have to worry about sinning. Right right and so it's the it's the two sides of the two kind of two sides of the spectrum which i got corrected on by talking to benjamin this weekend i mentioned i said well these are the two ditches we can fall off into and he said dad there's one way to stand true and an infinite number of ways to fall. Mm. And he said, if you guard yourself only on a couple of areas, you leave yourself open to all these other false claims. And so that's why we have to contend. That's why we have to to learn, right? And do the the work that you're doing and, and go through these things to be sure that we have that pure gospel. Right, to sit under authority, teaching authority, to sit under preaching authority, critically important, right, to form the theologies in us. And so I love these two verses that you selected. I, I love this scripture because, and it, right, Jude goes on to talk about dreams and instincts, right? That the, the people that pervert these things, right, it's dreams that lead them to ungodly behavior. It's these instincts that they follow. Doesn't it seem right to you? And, and that's not, it doesn't matter where it's right to you, it matters whether it's right to God. And so we take, and what I love about everything I've seen you do is you start with the word, you start with the word, and then you walk out to whatever the issue is, right? We start standing on truth and then we walk out to the issue. And that's so critically important. Just such a beautiful aspect that I've seen in your ministry, and I find that so encouraging, so so encouraging.
0: Yeah, the end of that passage, Brian, that you read in Galatians one, verse ten, and uh, verse ten that's says, it. "For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God?" Yeah. yeah, and it very much feels like there's a generation of of people who have you know grown up in the church, and they're much more interested in the approval of their peers, yep. of their professors, of other people than they are of God yeah. Himself. You know, and so, you know, uh, how help us navigate, Elisa, how we keep from falling in those traps. Mm -hmm. Like, out of your own story, you had this, you know, just tenacious desire for the truth, Mm -hmm. you know, not just anybody's truth, but the truth. How do we help? And this kind of connects to our topic from last week. We've got a generation of young people, you know, Ryan's with us again tonight. And last week, we talked about giving them a biblical worldview. How do we, among ourselves, and then fostering it? Because I look out across this congregation and I know. We've got a lot of people who are concerned about their sons and daughters, their, their grandkids who are in churches or in movements that sound like Christianity, but again, are, are walking some of these paths. What are some of the best practices? What are some of the best things that we can do to be sure that we're, we're, we're congruent with God and not men when it comes to our theology?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing would be read the Bible because a lot, I mean, I know that sounds so simple, but a lot of Christians don't read the Bible. You know, in fact, that's one charge I've seen from more conservative Christians. They'll say, well, progressive Christians, they don't know the Bible. Well, a lot of conservatives don't either. Mm. A lot of people don't read Ouch. it. It's really true. And so we can we can so easily be swayed. In fact, I'll tell you just a, a story from my own experience where this is so important because I mentioned I'm not a scholar. I'm not an academic by any s- stretch of the word. I hadn't had any intellectual backing to my faith, but I knew the Bible. I loved the Bible ever since I was a little girl and I knew what it said. I had some wacky interpretations that I realized later were, you know, I, I've changed my mind on those interpretations, but I knew what it said. So when I was in this class with the pastor and he would bring out all of the this philosophy and logic and uh, just church history and systematic theology and all this stuff that I didn't really know a whole lot about. Uh, And he would use some of these facts to try to sway us against the gospel, essentially, but when he would misquote the Bible or take that out of context, that's when I was like, okay, wait a second. Now I know that he just took the Bible out of context or even misquoted it. So now that makes me want to go check all the other things that he said. Good. And when mm-hmm. I did, I discovered that a lot of those facts had been manipulated or colored in a certain way mm-hmm. to make a certain point. And, um, and you know, I, I think that, So the first thing I I would say is read the Bible, just know what it says, just be biblically literate. And I love that our church has spent the last year reading through the Bible. Everybody needs to do that and uh, just know what it says because so often, especially, I mean, among atheists and progressive Christians, they will pick some verse out of the Old Testament that sounds horrific when it's not in its actual context. But when you're always in the word and you're reading the whole thing and you're getting to know the nature and the character of God, you, you can come across something that kind of goes, wow, what is that about? But you, you can kind of hit pause on it. And you might not even understand something that's happening in Leviticus till you get to Hebrews. Mm-hmm, and and right. so it, it's a good idea to just really stay in the word. But I would also say just really, I've heard you say this, and I've I've repeated this because you say it, you preach the gospel to yourself every day. This is something that I try to reinforce even when I'm praying with my kids. I try to Put the gospel in the prayer. Thank God for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and just little points, even putting in attributes about God. God, thank you that you are so good and powerful and loving just to, to try to um, just constantly remind ourselves of the gospel. And finally, I just I would just say all of that is kind of getting to this point of just know the real thing. Yeah. I get emails from people in pa- in a panic over, okay, what's, what is this movement teaching and what is this one and that one and is this wrong and is this wrong? you don't even have to study the false things if you know the real thing. And And I think, again, my story, it's like I knew when they were trying to take the cross away from me, I was like, okay, you know, you can, I didn't know what to say about all this mystical other stuff, but you can't take, the only solution for my own sin away from me like the buck has to stop there and so just yeah. i think knowing the real thing is yeah. is key yeah
0: that's so good and, it's and i love that because it's that foundation right that was laid in your life by your parents yeah you know and so that work that you're doing right now as a parent as a grandparent with the next generation to be sure you know that they know the word yeah our kids are going to explore they're going to you know test those things against the world mm-hmm. and 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 yet you know for you there was that that is something you know the radar went off when. And something yeah. wasn't right. And God helped use that you know, that foundation to bring, to bring you back. The other thing I think about, of course, you know, is you talk about knowing the real thing. And some of you know this. W- there's an old preacher illustration about how the Secret Service, the Treasury Department, they're trained to spot counterfeits. And it's not that you go study all the counterfeiters because they're infinite, right? But you study the $100 bill that you know it inside and out. And sure enough, we have a member of this church who works for the Secret Service. And uh, he actually, I wanted to use this in a sermon a couple of years ago. This is probably, we weren't in this building yet five or six years ago. He was like, yeah, do you want the slides that they used to train us? And I was like, do I want the slides? Like, who do you, yeah, yes. And so, man, I put those up and showed our congregation. So we're all trained as treasury department, you know? So. Yeah, counterfeit experts, really but, but it's such a great illustration because I do think the more you go into the gospel, the more sure, It's one of Brian's favorite phrases, that we wanna be more sure. You know, most of the people that I know in this room, they know what they believe. But the more time we spend with it and the more time we counter the false claims, the more our confidence grows mm-hmm. and our ability to articulate that. And I appreciate that that's what you do in the book. Cause you know, you've repeatedly said, I'm not a scholar. I'm not a, you know, but, but you have applied yourself, right. but that's part of what makes your book so accessible because I'll be honest, I've read a lot of great apologetics books, mm-hmm. right? But they're dry as sawdust, yeah. you know? And so your ability to, to tell your story as a, as a quote, layperson and say, this is what I learned when I applied myself that the, these these, Historical realities of Christianity are true. I think that is a great model for any person to follow. You know, be a Berean, as it right. says in yeah. Acts. You know, test the word for yourself.
1: But it has the, but it still has the theological and, and philosophical rigor. That's the thing that I appreciate. I've, I've got a degree in philosophy, and it still has that underpinning. Like I say, you don't have to be an academic, right? What you have to have is the Holy Spirit enabling wisdom inside us, right? And the other thing I really appreciate is, you know, one of the issues with some apologists, they become heresy hunters. Right? Yeah. They, they go out, and so you're always looking for the next heresy. And that will just get, if you focus outside of Jesus, you'll just get lost. right? And so what we do is we know the truth. And then when, the, when those, as like you said, when those counterfeit things come, we, we see the difference. And it keeps us from going out and focusing on things that are other than Christ. And that's so critical in apologetic study. Because you, you know, especially when I was younger and philosophical, right, I always wanted the next best quip. right? So they could put up this question, and I could smack them down and... And that's not useful in moving people to Jesus, yeah. right? It's yeah. the Holy Spirit in us and that power in us knowing the truth and letting, that, letting us abide in the truth and that truth will set us free yeah. and will set everybody else free too.
0: That's good, that's good. I wanna ask you a question about what you're learning in in this this field of ministry, right? Just what it's opened up for you and what you're experiencing. But before I do that, I wanna let you guys know who are here in the room live with us. On the screen is a website. You can go to your web browser on your phone, slido.com. If you enter that number, that's our room number for tonight. You can go there and enter questions. And in just about five or 10 minutes, we're gonna start taking your questions. And uh, if you've got a question for Elisa, we would love for you to enter that in. Even if you're like, I don't have a pressing question, but you want to watch other people's questions, there's a little heart button, you can like it. And then that'll put it at the top of the feed. So we'll know out of all of the things that are being asked, hey, this is the one that is really a burning question on the heart of most of our folks here tonight. uh, And we'll be able to address that. So feel free to pull out your phone. Uh, So don't worry, we'll assume you're not checking Facebook, right, so and all the things, just like I assume on Sunday mornings, you guys aren't, (laughs) right, on social media. But if you want to check
2: Facebook, nobody will know.
0: (laughs) uh but, um, you know, just watching, you know, your ministry develop over the past several years, share with us maybe some high points, some things that have really encouraged you, and also maybe share with us some of the challenges, some of the things that you see that that trouble you mm-hmm. that have, you know, just, just been challenging as you have tried to, tried to navigate and equip God's people to be able to identify what's happening with this movement.
2: Uh, okay, so high points. Every time I get an email from someone just saying wow i you know thank you so much like i i saw all this or my my kid is deconstructing and i don't know what to do and now i feel like i'm more equipped like that's the kind of stuff that just fills me up and just makes me so happy to know that just something and also just you know the the experience I went through I didn't go to a lot of detail a minute ago and I do more obviously in the book but it was a really dark time for me going through that and I felt completely alone mm. I, I felt like I didn't have I didn't know anybody that could answer the questions that this pastor had brought up um, I knew that somebody had to be out there that knew but it was a while before I even really discovered, apologists who could answer some of the claims. And so it was a really dark time. And so I am so thankful and it blesses me so much to know that God could take that and use Mm -hmm. that so that somebody else going through something like that doesn't have to feel alone. So I th- I'd say that's the high point, is knowing that I'm in some way maybe providing that for, for people. Um, the difficult thing, I think, is the same difficulty Christians have had for 2,000 years. And I think Paul puts it best when he says, when we, when we talk about Jesus, we, we are spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. And so essentially the, the knowledge of Christ Has a smell? It has a fragrance, and Paul Paul goes on to say, to to some it's the the fragrance of life, and to some it's it's the stench of death, essentially. And so I think this is the challenge Christians have always had: is to the people who it smells like death, um, they really don't like it, and and so that that can be difficult because there's there's a lot of pushback. Um, There there's a lot of I'll open up my emails and. I'll read one that says, you know, I'm in tears. Thank you. And then the next one is cussing me out, you know, and it's, so it's difficult. The ones that I think are, you know, the toughest for me are the ones that carry a grain of truth. Like if, you know, if, if there's something in there that just kind of I'm thinking about, and, but I always pray and I ask the Lord to, to show me and help me and use it. But um, yeah, it's difficult because you don't have a lot of neutral. You know, you don't get to be the, the, the Lifeway women's study girl that's just like, come on, girls, let's all, you know, make tears. I mean, you don't get to just, it's going to be like one or the other. Yeah. So there's extremes. Stumbling block and cornerstone, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: true. Absolute truth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, one more question before we get to, to everybody's questions. How how do you help friends who, you know, maybe again are stuck in a church that's going down this direction? What counsel do you give to people or who have family members who have, you know, yeah. again embraced some of these ideas? Obviously, the things you said earlier are super helpful. Know your Bible, you yeah. know, be able to articulate those things. But but what what's just some practical advice that you've given?
2: Yeah. Well, one one really practical piece of advice when you're in a relationship with somebody in your family or a friend who is sort of going down this road is you have to understand that you're approaching truth from two totally different places. And so progressive Christianity, most for the most part, is based on relativism. So, you know, mm-hmm. to sum it up, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Yeah. So, if you if you make claims about what's true, it's rather than there being a discussion about what's true or what's false, it's viewed as a power play. And so, you have to understand that that if you just go in saying, you know, you could now with with a lot of atheists, we were talking about this beforehand. A lot of a lot of atheists. Believe that God does not exist. That's a truth claim. So there can be a debate happen, but it's difficult when somebody views disagreement as hate or some kind of a power play. And so I think that the best way to go about it, especially if it's an ongoing relationship, is to ask a lot of questions. And you can ask questions that there's an author, Greg Kokel, wrote a book called Tactics, which is really great. And he says you can ask questions in a way that sort of puts a pebble in their shoe, and you may not Win the argument that day, but it might irritate them. You know, you got that rock in your shoe and you're like, oh, that kind of, that's annoying. And then they think more about their viewpoint. So I'd say, like, really asking a lot of questions. Try to avoid making truth claims um, as best you can. And uh, that's one really helpful way. Another thing for somebody who might be in a church and you're not sure if it's going progressive, or if you know somebody who's like, I think maybe my church is going progressive. I don't know what to do. A good friend of mine who was at the same church with me, I saw her a couple years later. She had left about a year after we left. And so we were talking about like, what was it that, because she wasn't in the class, so she didn't know all of the secret beliefs this pastor had, but she would hear things on Sunday that kind of raised a red flag. And so every time the pastor said something that raised a red flag, she wrote it down and she kept a journal every single Sunday. And she said, after a year, she went back and she looked at everything and was like, wow, we have got to go. And so I think that that's a good piece of advice. If you have somebody who's in a church where they're not sure, just write it all down every time, you know, be patient, be slow to speak, you know, like the Bible says, but, um, but don't forget like, because we can just kind of move on and forget that something was said, but I think that's maybe a couple of pieces of advice.
0: Yeah, no, super, super helpful. All right. Well, uh, we've got some good questions rolling in. So, uh, let's, let's walk through a couple of these. Uh, the one with, uh, the most likes so far is, um, and it's related to the one we were just talking about, but any recommendations, how do you engage professing Christians in the church who would embrace this kind of thought?
2: Uh, what, how would you,
0: how would you engage? engage?
2: Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, just like it's good to understand the, the sort of philosophy that's, that's underpinning their beliefs. We also have to understand the reasons they're attracted to this movement. Good. And I have a whole chapter in my book about this. Mm-hmm. We have to understand that progressive Christians are largely, I would say 99% deconverted evangelicals. So these are people who grew up in the evangelical church,
0: yeah, shallow soil. As we Shallow. talked about on Sunday. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. And 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 in some cases, they went through spiritual abuse uh, or they went through some kind of uh, where, the, where there was a moral failing, where they viewed everything as hypocritical. Uh, in other cases, they're attracted to the movement because, I mean, let's be honest, it has got to be so difficult to be a young person growing up in this culture where you're not only told that your, your view of biblical sexuality is not just wrong, but culture is telling you you're actually causing people to be depressed. You're causing people to kill themselves. I mean, the pressure on young people. So you have progressive Christianity that says, hey, you can believe what you want about that, and you can still call yourself a Christian. I can see why that would be really attractive. Yeah. So I think understanding some of the motivations behind why people are attracted to the movement can be uh, a real helpful place to start from a place of compassion because it can be so easy for us right fighters to be like, no, you're wrong and you're getting that wrong. But we have to understand, yeah. it's not, the, progressive Christianity isn't drawing in people from other worldviews. There aren't atheists and Hindus converting to wow. progressive Christianity. Yeah. These mm-hmm. are people walking away from something and there are reasons yeah. for that. And so we need to engage those reasons. Um, I think even before we get to the yeah. theology. Well,
0: you talked earlier really about that, right? That grain of truth that hurts. And that's one, right? There's a reason that these people are falling prey. Uh, and so that's, that's a really, really salient point. Uh, you mentioned a moment ago, young people, and we've got some of our 11th to 12th graders in the room. Uh, so welcome students. Glad you're here hanging out with us tonight. What, what are some of the things that you would say to them, you know, as they are right at that, that, that critical time, late high school, getting ready for college, some of them, the university experience.
2: Yeah. Uh, okay. So what I, my advice to young people, and I'm looking over here cause you were looking yeah, over there, over here, um, stuff. is You have to, obviously you've been told this, you have to make this faith your own. You can't just gather what your parents give you and think that's going to last you your whole life. You need to investigate for yourself if you think Christianity is true. But here's my advice to you. Make sure you investigate the real thing. Because like we just said, so many people leave the faith for reasons they don't have to leave the faith over. Uh, the gospel's actually the answer to spiritual abuse. If somebody's been through mm, something like that, good. the Amen. true gospel has teaching on that, answers for that. Uh, all that's hidden will be revealed. I mean, God mm, hates good. that. Yeah, and right. it's not the gospel that needs to go away, it's it's th- sin that needs to be dealt with. Amen. Amen. Uh, and then, you know, in other situations, um, just make sure that what you are investigating the truthfulness of is the real thing. Go back to the earliest sources. How did Jesus define this? How did the apostles and the early church fathers define? This? If you if you want to decide that they were all wet and that's not true, fine. But don't just don't just walk away because some guy said something on Twitter that you know, put, put a bee in your bonnet about it. Go back and investigate the truthfulness of the real thing so that you're not rejecting some kind of false version of the gospel. Good.
0: Yeah, outstanding, outstanding. Uh, one question with a bunch of likes. Is Is there a unified, we talked about some of the the ideologies of progressive Christianity, but is there a unified end game or ultimate goal among progressive Christians?
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's it's honestly, it's social justice. And so th- we have to understand that in progressive Christianity it is a very here and now gospel. They will outright say this. Uh, founder of the emergent movement, which who's still pretty influential in progressive Christianity, a guy named Brian McLaren. He wrote in his book, A New Kind of Christianity, that you know, we have gotten it wrong. This whole idea of uh, the Garden of Eden and God created it and called it good and then there was a fall and then there's this restoration plan, final judgment, all of this. He says that is pagan, that is not the gospel. He says that's imported from Aristotle and Plato. He said the real gospel of Jesus is about the here and the now. It's about connecting with God and with each other uh, before death in this life. And that's why in progressive Christian literature you find very little uh, eschatology, you find very little about the afterlife. Even Rob Bell's whole book about, you know, questioning the doctrine of hell had very very little speculation about what actually happens after we die. Yeah. And so it's just not on their radar. So the end game is sort of what they would say building the kingdom here uh, they, it, as you mentioned earlier, they use a lot of the same words, a lot of the same language. They mean very different things by those by those phrases. But they will talk about building the kingdom of God, and that's going to be established through social justice, dismantling systems of power and oppression. Uh, and, and so it's this this worldview of pitting everybody against each other as oppressor versus oppressed, and you always have to, you know, be the voice of the oppressed. And if you're doing that, then that is the that's the end game essentially. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, and, and very helpful. This idea that we've heard so much about critical theory, uh, you do a great job, by the way, in your book. She gives about a two and a half page overview of a very complex topic. Uh, and so would recommend, commend that to you. Uh, I've pointed several people to that just as a, as a summary of those things. But what, hey, that's so helpful because you, you do see that. There is such an emphasis on the immediate and the now. Again, mm-hmm. pleasing man. Mm-hmm. What what looks good. You know, the fancy phrase for that is an overrealized eschatology. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter what happens in the future. Heaven and hell are irrelevant. What matters is right here. And we know, right, Orthodox Christianity, biblical Christianity teaches us in reality, what we think about heaven, you know, everything. influences everything right, right now. You know, the way that we live, the urgency that we live with. So that's a, a really important question. I'm so glad that it was asked. Uh, a question more about kind of resources, right? In addition to, to yourself and your blog and your book, um, what notable pastors, leaders, writers, do you recommend and trust as resources to dig into the, the deeper understanding understanding of, of you know progressive christianity but i think you know apologetics as as yeah. identifying the authentic as well. Yeah,
2: there are not a lot of apologists that are really focusing on progressive Christianity. So there's just, there's not a ton of books to uh, recommend. There's one book I recommend by a guy named David Young, and it's called A Grand Illusion. And it's a book about progressive Christianity. He's a conservative theologian who went through Vanderbilt Divinity School with, you know, notoriously liberal. And mm-hmm. um, and so he he's analyzes the movement of progressive Christianity really well from a more scholarly perspective. Um, so that's a good one. Uh, just good general apologists to follow, in, in my opinion. There's a great little book on the, uh, the reliability of the Gospels called Can We Trust the Gospels by a scholar named Peter Williams. Um, and it's very accessible. He's a scholar, but he knows how to write for the average Joe, like like me. So that's, um, that's a really great one. Uh, and let me think. I mean, just as a general, J. Werner Wallace is a great apologist to follow. He's just one of the most brilliant minds I've ever come across, honestly. Former
0: investigator, right? Yeah.
2: Homicide cold case detective from Los Angeles. And he realized as an atheist, he had never put the claims of Christianity through the same uh, investigative tactics he used to solve cold cases. Very successful cold case detective been on, you know, uh, I think it's dateline several times with the cases that he solved, but you know, he, did, he concluded that Christianity was true when he really treated it like one of his cold cases. And so he's, uh, just, He's he's a brilliant guy. Uh, Frank Turek is another one. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. is a great just general overview of building the classical case for the truthfulness of Christianity. Um, I mentioned Greg Kokel. Uh If you're for parents, I recommend Natasha Crane is fabulous. Mama Bear Apologetics is fabulous. Uh, so there there are a lot of resources that are popping up to really help equip people, especially to answer some of these cultural quandaries that we find ourselves in because people are just thinking on different planets from each other right now. And so uh, some of that uh, would be helpful, I think.
0: That's great. And then kind of several of these are resource questions. You guys are, man, you're firing away tonight. So I'm going to try to summarize some of these. (laughs) On the other end, is there anything that we need to just really be aware of as far as websites and authors? And you've mentioned a couple, you mentioned several in your book, but right now- So the
2: liturgists would be a progressive community, thousands of people. I mean, they they have 24 seven hangout online rooms where you can come in, deconstruct, they'll walk you through it. Uh, So the liturgist is a big one. uh, That's very influential. Um, the The Evolving Faith Conference every year is a big progressive Christian conference. Uh, I mean, the obvious people to avoid would be like guys like Rob Bell, Brian McLaren. Well, I, I shouldn't say avoid, but just to be aware that right. they're teaching. Richard Rohr is the biggest one right now, I think. I, I actually have started calling him the progressive pope because he is informing so much of the theology. You see
0: him quoted everywhere. everywhere.
2: I mean, even in just the past, Four years, he has just soared into this influential role. So Richard Rohr would be a big one. I just released a three-hour podcast refuting his um, his universal Christ, Christ consciousness, um, you know, whole thing that he's teaching. So, so that, I would commend that to you as well.
0: All right, good. Um, some questions along the lines of the idea of, obviously, there is... Um, people who you know call it deconstruction, call it doubts, questioning their faith. You know that that's a journey that a lot of people go through. Is there is there a, a healthy way to do that? You know, what's the right way to approach your your questions? I'm
2: really glad you asked that because there's a huge difference between doubt and deconstruction. They're yes. two yes. totally different yes. things. Good. So doubt bubbles up in the context of faith. You don't doubt something unless you believe it, or else you would just not believe it. So we don't have to be afraid of doubt. Good. When you believe something and you doubt, that's just, that's, that's being smart, saying, okay, I wanna test this against reality, find evidence for this, see if it's true. That's great, do that all you want. The gospel can stand up to that. I think the evidence for the truthfulness of Christianity is so just immense that someone would be, have to, they would have to willfully not want it to be true. Um, And and so that's, there's two kinds of doubt, there's honest doubt seeking truth, and then there's just seeking justification for unbelief, that would be the bad kind of doubt, but don't be afraid of doubt, I think that's fine. Deconstruction is a whole different thing, that's based on a 60s philosophy, it's a postmodern philosophy, where the guy that came up with that is a French philosopher Jacques uh, Derrida, he taught that words can't be pinned down to singular and definite meanings, therefore language can't be used to communicate objective truth, and it, it it's, so essentially, the job of deconstruction is just to pick it all apart and get rid of it because it's based on the idea that objective truth can't be known. So whatever construct you've been handed down, as far as what you think about reality, it's actually a virtue. It's your job to deconstruct that construct because you, you need to live your truth. You need to figure out um, wh- how you want to live. And so deconstruction is, is based on a postmodern relativistic view of reality. Yep. And um, so I think I think that, that's Probably just a little... Something yeah, else.
0: it's fascinating. How many of you remember the phrase postmodernism, right? Twenty years ago, it was all the conferences were about it. When I was youth pastor, right, all the books were about it. And it's interesting to see the logical conclusion wh- that this is where yeah. it's landed. You know, when it's applied to the church and, yes. it's, and its ministry. Yeah. So fascinating. All right, Brian, what else are you seeing over there? So, am I missing anything? There's no. there's tons of questions. but a lot of people want to know about your arm. By the way,
1: I, apparently my arm seems to be a, a, a top. So, of, I is there a Twitter account for Brian's fall. arm? I just, my arm's you know, fine. I'm I've wondering. had other health things. If you want to continue to pray for my health, I've had other Car- health problems. We've got a caring group. My- That's the good it, sign, it right is. there. It's wonderful. So it, they they care for us. All Thank right. you for asking about my arm. Yeah, it was it was injured a couple, couple last fall, fall before last. All right. Let's see. Well, And one thing I was going to say was, you know, in Jude, right, it says, have mercy on those who doubt. Yeah, that's right. Right, have mercy on those who doubt. And so Jesus it, so,
2: did, too. Jesus was very tender toward doubters.
1: Absolutely, because <laughs> the, it, if it's a sincere seeking, you're going, the, there's no place to land but Jesus. Yeah. Right, if you're sincerely seeking the truth, the only place you're going to land is Jesus. And we have to have confidence in that as believers, right? You and I have to believe that as we lead people toward Christ, that there's no other, there's no, like, right, Peter, where else would I go? Yeah. Right? Who, who, who else has the words of life? And we're confident in that as believers. So we're not afraid of questions. We're not afraid of philosophies, right? And that's who our battles are with, right? With philosophies and ideas. And we're not afraid of them because we, the, Jesus is the truth. There's, there's no place else to go.
0: Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. Um, here is one that's an interesting... I've not ever heard one described quite like this. I've heard language like rib issues and spine issues, as in some things are important in theology and some things are not is that language problematic?
2: I've never heard that either. That's a Ribbon, new Rib and spine. I've heard essentials yes. versus non-essentials. Yeah. I mean, there's no perfect way to put it because there's really no such thing as a non-essential. Everything you believe is essential. Uh, but in my book, I define the core doctrines of the gospel, things we can't agree to disagree on as any kind of uh, belief that will directly affect your salvation. Yeah. So, in other words, if it's something we can argue about in heaven, then that will—it's not that it's not important, not as, but it's—it's going to be secondary to right. the salvation message of the gospel. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Again, that's a metaphor I've not heard, but yeah. ribs are connected to your spine. I think correct. So the the point would be there. It's actually all connected, yeah. Yeah, right? You yeah. know, as a
2: matter of fact, it so. is. But even Paul said that there are beliefs that are more important than others right. when he con- you know conveyed yeah. that early creed in first corinthians 15 he said this is of the utmost Rose importance yeah. so so there are definitely and there are things that frankly the bible's very clear about and then there are things it's not as clear about so mm-hmm. you could look at it that way too the things that it's very clear about uh you know there's there's no reason to try to make it say something it's not saying right yeah the the, the grayer stuff can be more difficult but
0: Yep, that's good. that's good. Uh, this is totally different direction here. but um, your husband, how does he partner with you in in your ministry?
2: He does a lot. So um, he I just I, he's not here and I can just brag on him, but he is honestly just so stinking supportive. I I have had the the blessing of having very supportive men in my life. My dad was that way. I mean, I, I think I could have told my dad I wanted to be President of the United States and he would have been like, all right. How, we make, let's, how do we make this happen? Um, but my husband's kind of the same way. It's like he's he's very simple, and he's kind of uh, more on the quiet side. But, like, if I'll say something like, hey, you know, I think I want to start a podcast. And he, he'd be like, no, okay. And then, like, two days later, Amazon boxes start arriving. And I hear, like, the, the power tools. And, like, oh, I have a podcast studio. So he built, like, everything you see on YouTube. He's a sound engineer, background in music. So he he built all of that. And awesome. just, honestly, oh, it's wonderful. like... He, he has taken the this on just as like a thing we do together. Yeah. So I make a video, he puts the bumpers on and That's gets so it ready cool. and That's sends awesome. it up to YouTube and all that stuff. It's Next awesome. week we're
0: talking about biblical marriage. And so it's a great example, right? Yeah. Of how, how we're better together as a team. But
2: I will say too, like since you're gonna talk about biblical marriage, I'm such an advocate of the way the Bible describes for that to work because when I was, when we were in that church, uh, my faith was getting wrecked. And it was my husband who made the decision and said, we're leaving. Hmm. And I was relieved because I was staying hmm. because there were baby Christians in the class and I didn't want them to lose their faith. And I had all this confusion, but submitting to my husband was the most beautiful thing hmm. that, and it probably, I mean, honestly, God used that to sure. save my faith. Sure, so. God. Yeah. yeah.
0: He was looking out for you. Yeah. See the big picture. I love that. I love that. All right. Well, I think that covers most of the questions. Um, I'm trying to make sure I didn't miss any more because they're always adding a few more along the way. I think we covered the big rocks there. Um, Let's see. Okay, so a couple things. Brian's got a couple of questions that we're asking of every speaker, just to to kind of help connect it to the life of our church and the we are the church idea. And then after that, we want to know how we pray for you awesome. uh, and and your ministry. So Brian, so, fire away.
1: The first of the questions is is how does does what the Lord's doing through your ministry help us as a church, right? Bond together as a, as a people of God.
2: Well, that's a big question. Yeah. Well, I I hope that it will help insulate from that specific false idea that's trying to come in to the church, because it's like that that verse that's creeping in unnoticed in so many different places, and it can look like different things, and it can sound like different things, and so hopefully my gift, not just to this church, but to the broader church, is to help put guardrails against this specific um, false gospel that's trying to come in and portray itself as the real thing.
1: Yeah, I think you're doing a magnificent job of that. And then the, the second is, how does this help us as a church witness to the world?
2: Well, hope, I hope that it will help with our witness in that we can maybe really present the beauty of the real thing. Because mm-hmm. part of what the distortions can do is they can pick off people who haven't seen the beauty of, of the gospel. And I think that's why one of the reasons that I didn't go in that direction is because I really saw the gospel as something beautiful and life giving. And I didn't want that to be taken away from me. And so, um, you know, hopefully, by uh, the way I've written and the, what I present to the world, I really try to be fair minded. I try to be as gracious and as charitable as I possibly can be. And so, hopefully, um, I don't know. I just, I pray God will use it in any way that, that he wants to.
1: Well, I think you have said beauty, truth, and goodness. Yeah. Right? And those things have to, if any of those things independently become very perverse. Mm. But when they exist in unity, which and the only place they exist in unity is in Christ. That's right. right? They do beautiful things. And that's what you've done in that book is you've presented beauty, truth, and goodness. And that is, that is a beautiful, magnificent thing, both to us as believers and to our witness to others.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And as, and as far as, <clears throat> excuse me, the witness to the world I do think you model being able to take ideas, authors, speakers that have wandered into these beliefs and graciously, you know, but lovingly confront those. Mm-hmm. I think that, and you do that well in your podcast and that's for those of us grappling. And I think that was, there's a question worded along those lines, how do you do that well? Um, well, you model that. And I think that that's a difficult thing to do to be able to say, I love this person, but I can respectfully disagree with this idea, with okay. with this take on the scripture. Um, and so that's, that's one of the gifts I think you bring as well. So Elisa, how do we pray for you specifically?
2: <sighs> well, first pray that God will continue to help me with that. You know, with it's, it's hard to sometimes be in the middle between, like you said, the heresy hunters that I see terrible fruit of slander oh. and uh, just over hyper-criticism. Um, just, I, I see that on, on one side and then on the other, just this loosey-goosey, whatever, anything goes thing. So pray that God will... Yeah continue to lead and guide me to to stay in my lane. Um I would ask you to pray for my children uh and like you said my family, my marriage, all of that. Um pray my prayer for I told the Lord when this all started like I will do anything just Save my kids. Don't let them Amen. be lost amidst all of this. Because I realize the attacks that are going to come uh, as, with what I do. So pray for my children that they will love Jesus and walk with Him all the days of their life. And um, just you know, continue to pray for for refreshment. And uh, I asked my my supporters this month to just really pray that I will be reignited with a passion for the Bible. Uh, it's sort of, honestly, the last couple of months have felt a little bit just like, okay, I have to do this. This is, you know, and it's just, I want to, I want to, I want to be like it was a few years ago when I just couldn't wait to get done with whatever I was doing to just dive back in. And, um, I just want that passion to be continually in my heart and mind. And it is coming back. I'm working on my next book, which is very, very theological. So it's been so sweet to just kind of be in the Bible all day as I'm writing it. So God's already answering that prayer, but, um, yeah, just protection and all of that. Yeah,
0: that's great. All right. Well, let's pray for Elisa tonight as we close. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you uh, for uh, your your good gifts that you give us. Uh, And one of the gifts that you give to the church uh, is people uh, who, God, you bring them through an experience, as Elisa mentioned, God, so that they uh, can bless others uh, from what they've learned. And so out of what was a dark time and a challenging time, God, you have brought beauty from ashes and you have brought, uh, God, clarity and conviction. And so when we want to continue to lift up Elisa and her ministry, God, uh, the uh, the clarity that you bring her, God, that helps people in your church identify uh, aberrant theology and bring us back to the truth. Uh, God, we were reminded uh, this past Sunday in the parable of the soils that the enemy wants to pluck the word of God away immediately after it's sown. And so uh, the desire of, of our hearts is to be good soil in which your truth goes down deep. Uh, and so, God, would you help Elisa to continue, uh, God, that ministry as she writes, as she spends time in your word. Uh, God, would you continue uh, for her and her husband and her family to be a team, God, that does this together. And uh, we thank you uh, for the opportunity we've had to hear from her tonight. And uh, God, we're glad she's a part of our church family. So would we go more informed, uh, God, more encouraged, uh, and more sure of what we believe as we stand on the truth? And it's the reality, God, that you came uh, in the person of Jesus to give your life for us undeserving sinners so that we could be reconciled to you. Uh, And and God, that we could be reconciled to you for an eternity. That's the hope, the good news that we want the whole world to hear. So help us uh, to remember the beauty and the mystery and the power of that gospel. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you give Elisa a hand tonight? Thank you for being with us.